Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to another episode of Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my fellow family lawyer, Liza. Liza, Today, I thought we could just talk about some of the questions that we often get asked when we're working on family law cases. Sometimes they're straightforward and sometimes they're a little bit pointy, but they tend to be the same ones that crop up um, and maybe a few unusual ones too. So in no particular order, frequently asked questions, I'll start with this one. Can I finalise my property settlement from my ex even before we've divorced or do I need to wait for the divorce? The answer is yes, you can. And in fact, I recommend it, that you do finalise your property um, before you get an actual divorce. Okay. Why would you say to do that first then? Well, there's time limits. Once you get divorced, then you only have 12 months to bring an application if you don't agree um, with your former spouse about how your property is to be divided. If you don't agree on what's to happen there and you're going to need to alter some interests, you know, it might be that um, the you have to you you're looking to receive an extra couple of hundred thousand dollars um, from your former spouse. Well, then yes, you'll need to make sure that that is all sorted out before you finalise your divorce. Otherwise, you're going to have to ask the court for leave to get. By um, leave, you mean permission. Permission. Yeah. Yep. But the boot might be on the other foot. If you're the person that's got the property, mm. then you probably would say. Actually, I know I can do my property settlement now, but I'm yep. just going to apply for divorce now yep. and watch the clock tick down and hope that my ex doesn't go and see a family law solicitor to say, hey, quick, you better get your That's application right. in. I did that. I recommended that option the other day. And it all depends, though, on, on what your what your circumstances are. So um, this fellow the other day, he's already divided all the property up. And he's got a bit more in terms of cash and super and all those things. It's already all in his name. Mm. And he doesn't want to give her anything else. So I said, well, there's no point, um, you know, drafting anything up because all that's going to happen is that she's going to go get her advice on on her side of the equation and say, and it'll come back and say, well, you, you really should be paying her something more. Mm. And so I've said to him, I said, just get the divorce done watch the time tick away and hope for the best. Good advice. Mm. Now, we've talked about divorce there a little bit. Yep. What actually is a divorce oh, in Australia? That's just where the actual marriage, your your marriage is, it comes to an end legally. That's so a, that that's you've the legal end to the marriage. Yeah. It's not anything beyond that though, is no. it? Because these the, the, the word divorce obviously gets mixed up quite a lot with what happens at separation and everything else connected to it. Yeah. So it's only just the ending of the marriage so that you, you're then free to go and marry someone else. <laughs> if you want to. And if you do that, probably go and see a family law solicitor and maybe get a financial agreement Breed drafted up. first. Bring up. Bring up. Okay. All right. So on the question of divorce, then a question that we often get asked is, right, I've separated. Can I apply for divorce? Not unless you've been separated for 12 months and one day. Right. And so if I get married today... And I separate tomorrow. When can I apply for a divorce? Well, you still then you've got extra hurdles because you've because you weren't married for two years. 
Right, you need so I've to got then, to be married for two years before I yeah, get divorce. Look, chances are you might get it across the line, but it's there's a few extra hurdles like affidavits and counselling and things like that. You need to show that it's not like a, you know, oh, he left the butter out last night, therefore, um, <laughs> you know, that's it. It's all over. I want a divorce. Yeah. Or, or crumbs in the, in the butter dish, even worse than that. So, But yeah. you, you have to, basically, the easiest thing to do is once you have been married for two years, if you've been separated for a year, then yeah. you can apply. Yeah. Okay. And what are the grounds for divorce? Do I, I mean, do, we talked about the butter dish and other silly things. You, you just need to make coffee sure Coffee rings. And it, it's more about the fact that the marriage is, that you consider that the marriage is completely over and you need to communicate that to someone to show that you've actually separated. There's no, you don't actually have to, it's not like um, you need a reason for the divorce. You can just not like that person anymore or you don't need to, it, it's a no-fault system, so you don't need to actually set out any basis for applying for the divorce. There's just one these days, isn't there, which is the irretrievable breakdown of yeah. the marriage and there's yep. nobody's going to be pointing fingers at somebody. Although uh, they all do. Although they all do. Um, now, that's, that brings me on to another question that I sometimes get asked because, of course, you know, marriages and relationships, when they come apart, one of the reasons sometimes is infidelity. Mm. And the question that gets put to me is, well, they cheated on me. Shouldn't I get more out of the settlement? Will they? Mm. Probably not. But, it, look, again, that's a, that's a, it depends. It depends on, on what, what has... What has actually led to all of this? Like, is it a case of, um, you know, has, have they cheated on you with someone and they've been having an extra relationship with them and are their financial circumstances going to be taken into account? Are they, you know, is right, it a proper okay. affair? Is it just a one-off or but if somebody just generally? Th- generally, Somebody no. commits adultery or, or is unfaithful to their partner and it's discovered and it's unpleasant, but there's no financial connections on no. to the case that it's not going to make an awful lot of difference no, in terms no. of monetary terms. No, God no, no. You just that's where you just go and have a divorce party and you <laughs> and you go and you know get your wedding rings and stuff like that. And get your dartboard in your wedding picture pictures. Well, get all of, your jewelry and all the nice stuff that he ever bought you and melt it down and have something else that you prefer to wear or or sell it or you know do whatever you like to turn it in, turn that negativity into a. Into something positive. A divorce party. That will go along with your divorce, divorce register. register. Exactly right. Maybe and then you can get yourself your new air fryer and everything else. Hopefully somebody from Myers or David Jones is listening to this and yeah, they'll, they be, they'll be in touch with us. They'll be a sponsor for the, um, for the divorce split register. happens divorce register. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Uh, so, Marvellous yeah. idea. All right, well, so that's a little bit about divorces. Now, some of the other questions that we sometimes get asked are, well, hang on, the property is in his name or her name and they're telling me that they don't have to give me anything because of that. So does that matter? Whose name something's registered in? For the divorce or the property settlement? Property. We're the, back yep, to property. property no. back divorce, to property. Is, divorce is yep. done in the sense that it's it's discreet, isn't it? It's completely separate to the property. The only connection is the time limit period. Okay. So if you have if you've got a property, as in you're married to someone who owns a property and you're now applying for a property or well, you're trying to get a property settlement out of them, then it doesn't matter whose name um, that asset is in. So even if it's on the title of the house is in his name, say, yeah. it doesn't make any difference. So that's what you call a legal interest. And in family law, we talk about not just legal interest, but also what we call equitable or you call them equitable. I do. English. Um, 
uh, interests. And so we'll that is... We'll talking about projects in a minute and data. Projects. <laughs> anyway, um, so for those listeners, sorry to interrupt that. Um, so the equitable interest is um, usually arises because you've, although it's not on title, you're not recognised at law as having an interest, but you have done things that would... Um, Considering the relationship, I would imagine well, you'd, you'd hope so. Not, or, so, or not maybe, so much of late. Maybe you haven't done things and that's why the relationship's breaking down. But the point is I, that I in terms of... I shan't tell you the text messages from a client that I was reading the other day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they're probably... Uh, I Look, I, I actually... Um, I said to my husband the other day that in terms of... I said, I'm so glad that what we talk about from time to time is never in writing. I said, because, you know, the DV court or family court would have an absolute field day, some of the stuff that he says. Um <laughs> You know, it's anyway. It's all said in jest. True, um, true. Yeah, I, I, most of my messages between me and my considerably better half are, are usually revolving around which football fixtures we've got to attend tonight, tomorrow. Who's driving where, there, and other, and, and yeah, and do we have a cupboard full of wine ready for the evening? <laughs> <laughs> well, right, sorry. yeah. So um, getting so, back to these interests. So as long as legal so, interests are yeah, different to equitable interests, they are. They are. And so, for example. Say a, a very common scenario is um, house that you've been living in for the last 10 years is in the name of the husband. Wife has worked um, and you know, she might have worked part-time, raised a couple of kids. And so she's made what you call financial and non-financial contributions to that relationship. Right. So if you haven't worked, if you say you're – this is sort of brings me on to another similar sort of question, yeah. that if you're the person who's stayed at home to look after the kids and, and – take care of the house, but you haven't actually been out to work during that relationship? That's a non-financial contribution because you're still – what you're doing there is you're um, taking care of one aspect of your husband's life, one of of his obligations, i.e. to help raise children. Um, You've taken that burden away from him and allowed him to be able to go out and earn the money. Right, so your contributions in that non-financial sense have facilitated him being able to go out and earn the money. Yeah, it couldn't have done it without. Yeah, that's right. And so that's why those contributions are recognised and that's why it's not, you know, you may have an interest um, that is not legal, but you would definitely, in most cases, have an equitable interest and as long usu- as you've done something. Usually a good idea to talk to your solicitor as soon as you can about that. Yeah. Because if, in, in some cases, of course, a house is owned by one person as far as the law is concerned, as far as the title registries are concerned, you will have an equitable interest, of course, under the Family Law Act. Mm. But to protect your interest, you might have to lodge a caveat on that property. Yeah. See what I did there? I, I used the Australian. No, I know. I used the Australian pronunciation oh. for the word, which is actually caveat. But never mind. Oh goodness! Here we go. <laughs> we should I, have an episode of all the different words. The, the I, I legal. Still use. I'm caught between two places. I mean, I've been here a very long time yeah. now, but you know, all of my children. Regrettably, use the word yogurt, and I don't understand what they're talking about when they go to the fridge for a yogurt. But there you well, go. Well, whenever someone talks about yogurt, I oh. think of Gordon Ramsay because he says it in a real. Have you ever heard the way he says yogurt? It's like it's, it's, it's an aggressive. It's, it's like <laughs> you, it's like you're going to throw the yogurt. Right. It's like yogurt. Ah, there you go. Anyway, well, he's a gruff Scotsman. What can you do? Okay, now let's assume that we've got some interest in the property, yep. and, and it might be more. Is it just a fifty-fifty division then? Nope. So that's a question that I get asked a lot because it's a customer or a client that comes to see you and say, we've been together a number of years, so it's just 50-50, is it, presumably? And that seems to be where a lot of people start their kitchen table conferences with, yeah. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that no. can be fine if you both agree and it, you, know, you get the measure from a family law solicitor who can listen to you, describe the relationship, understand what's in there. But it's not a straight 50-50, is it? No, and it, 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 that will depend on every single case will be different. And also, you've also got to think about the fact that every family lawyer is going to have a different opinion yeah. on what you're entitled to. Every judge that hears an application is also going to have a different opinion. That's true. That's so that's why we talk about you might, when you go and see a lawyer, they might give you a range. They might, give, they might not say to you, and anyone who says, yes, you're definitely 63%, um, in my opinion, is, is just barking up the wrong tree because there is no definite about it. It's always going to be a range. I and do prov- see that with clients. And you're talking about ranges and then they'll go, so the middle figure is yeah. 62.5 yeah. and they'll write it on their pad and go, yeah. just hold on no, a no, second. No. no, that's not what it's going to be. It, it's, it could it be. It might be that. You know? It could be 5% either side of that. Yeah. It depends upon how And sometimes the out. range can be a lot broader. It could be somewhere between 40 to 60%. So it, it, it all it will depend on the contributions that have been made, the property pool, your um and your spouse's future needs. And the, we've gone through this in another in one yeah, of our other we podcasts. Have, but, but we were talking a but, moment ago about so yeah. somebody who's a housewife who'd been at home for twenty years. Say, yep. They then come out of a relationship, they're not gonna have the ability to be able nope. to carry on earning the same amount that their husband, say, does because well, he's been got in to that then, job. They've so got to go and apply for a job. And if they still have the care of the kids, um, they've got to either try and get them into after-school care yeah. or find a job. And These, All things that make it harder for you to earn the same amount of money. You know, I, I was having a chat to someone the other day and they said, oh, it's all right, she can just get a job. School's like nine till three. That's a six-hour six day. That, that should be okay. I said, well, okay. It may be nine till three, I said, but realistically by the time you actually, you've got to drop the kids off and then get yourself to work mm. and then you've got to leave work. Like, so for example, I remember when I was um, trying to, you know, before my, before my son was in after school care, I would have to leave it at 2.30 oh, to go and pick him up. After school pickups. So, so it's like I'd get places. to work at nine, nine thirty, and I'd have to leave at 2.30 so what really can I get done in that time? Not much. And so you, you, you're going to ask, going out on that open market with all the other people competing for a job, saying, oh, sorry, but I, I do have to leave early and I have to come in late. Mm. And then I have to be flexible because, of course, you know, we've got Children, all those... It becomes increasingly difficult to try and find that position. I mean, working from home is, is great in some ways, but yeah. it's not it's not the panacea I've, for all of this. We've things. just had school holidays and, oh, my goodness, like... <laughs> You know, I was trying to do work from a poolside for his swimming, his holiday swim program, and then you've got, you know, try and keep them entertained. Right, oh, okay, well, off you go, go and play around at a skate park and go and do this, go and do that. And well, whilst under careful supervision, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, so it, it it's tough out there. And so we recognise and the courts recognise that it is difficult for that housewife to then go and say, okay, right, well, she doesn't have that money coming in anymore, mm. um, that support. She's got to go and find her own job and and be able to support herself and and the family and because of course child support often doesn't it just doesn't cover it. No, and, there's and no it, way in the world. I see some of the child support assessments and I think, well, what's that going to get you? That doesn't even get you a bag of groceries at Woolies. So some of them are re- remarkable for how low they are. Yeah, be- because sometimes people, of course, particularly in self-employed environments, their income will be lower for tax purposes, yep. and that's perfectly legal they've mm. structured things that way but it means that their taxable income is pretty low when you come to do an yep. assessment over that the amount of child support could be almost notional yeah 
So it's it's really, and that's why they um, the courts take that into account when you. And that's why there can be loadings on the side of the person who hasn't worked for a number yep. of years. So that you know that fifty fifty kitchen table conference by the time you've each had a bit of legal advice might be more closer to sort of 60 40 65 35 even yep but okay so there's no automatic entitlements there's no slide rule there it's everything is nuanced isn't it yep and the same thing goes for de facto relationships as it goes for for married married couples Yep. yep okay urban legal is proud to sponsor split happens you'll be in safe hands with urban legal for all your family law needs, call us on 07-5562-0444 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au. About the houses then that we've talked about, there's usually, you know, in, in a typical situation, there's one piece of real estate which has been the former family home. Mm-hmm. And I often get asked that question by somebody, well, can I keep the home and, and he moves out and then he keeps his super, I keep the house or something. Is that generally possible? Yeah. Yeah. Um, those things are, they're all options. It's what's going to work for you. And mm. I so guess it, it depends if you end up having to pay them some money out. And yeah, where you're if you can afford it. If you can afford it. Um, we sometimes work with brokers quite a lot, putting people in touch with yep. brokers to find out their options about borrowing. Yep. Because there's no point getting into a negotiation about who's going to keep what if you can't afford to pay them out. That's right. So um, often I'll say to a client, make sure that you've gone and seen a broker first so that then you can work out what your borrowing capacity is um, and also whether or not how much more you can add on to that mortgage to be able to pay them out. It's probably worthwhile mentioning, do this through a solicitor. If you're going to transfer your partner's share of their property into your name, Make sure you go through your own family law solicitor because there will be, or that usually, um, breaks for you as far as stamp duty goes. Yep. There's an exemption under the Family Law Act. So if you transfer real estate to a person that would normally get state stamp duty on it, yep. you should, if you uh, do the documentation properly through your lawyers, be exempt for that. And that can save you thousands, tens yep. of thousands of dollars in some cases. Yep. Make sure it's worth spending a few quid to save a lot more. Okay, so let's say, let's go, this is all at the end of the relationship, it's all doom yep. and gloom then, but we often get um, clients come to see us when they are getting together with a new partner, they, they might be young and don't have very much, but they yep. apprehend they're going to, or it might be a repartnering yeah. later in life where they kind of want to keep each other's assets separate. What would you recommend to those people? Prenup. Prenup, prenup, prenup. Which is, um, you know, that's the colloquial term for another uh, uh, a financial agreement before marriage or before the relationship. So, well, you we know, sometimes you can call them binding financial binding financial agreements. Financial agreements. So, some lawyers so you hear things. the those sorts of terms thrown about, but I like to call them prenups, even if you're not going to get married and it's just the start of a relationship, because everyone understands what a prenup is, and you know it makes sense. Well, tell me what a prenup is. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically just an agreement between you, so that. And it sets out the, the important things that of, of a prenup is you both got to be fully frank with each other of what you've actually got now. You're looking at me with a particularly pointed sort of look there because of a conversation we we're having about a yep. some recalcitrant clients who, of course, will always remain nameless. That's exactly right. Don't provide. Don't like to tell you what they've yeah. got. I want to do a deal with the other side, but I don't want to tell them what I've got. No. In which so case that, the, the that agreement's deal, going to be yeah. not worth the paper it's written on. 
So you've got to be fully frank and fully open about what you have, where your accounts are, what you know, what what trust funds you're a beneficiary of or anything like that. The whole lot you need to be completely open and you both have a little schedule and you both have, you know, party A has their assets and liabilities, party B has this and, and so what you do is you work out a, a way that you're going to um, divide your assets and particularly any um, what we call after acquired, after relationship acquired um, goods and things like that. So say for example you decide five years later that you want to buy a house, well then you might, that's not going to be listed in either of your schedules but mm. it needs to be dealt with. So you have a bit of a mechanism as to how that agreement is going to be broken. You're going to divide all your assets, whether you're going to be able to keep all that stuff that you brought in. Because as um, many people find out the hard way, you might have had an inheritance and it was might have been $300,000 but you know, and that you brought it in at the start but both of you have really made a really good go of it, this relationship for the last 25 years. It's not like at the end of that 25-year relationship you're automatically entitled to that $300,000 back. No, pretty rare, that situation. But if you have a, a, a prenup um, in place, then you can, in fact, as long as the both parties agree to it, protect that money. Or it might be something else. It might be a house. It might, might be a unit, provided mm. that unit is still there when you separate. Um, there might be – you can And you can build provisions out. into a prenup that say, all right, and if I sell the unit that I've got in this yeah. town, but by with those funds I buy something separately and always keep it separate. Yep. So it's the maintenance of that separate property yep. that we can write up in these agreements that yep. should – they can, they can they can withstand the test of time. I often advise my clients that if they ha- they're going through any sort of major financial changes, decisions, uh, big um, upheavals in life, it, talk to your family law solicitor. Mm. Should I do an updated version of this? Do I need to amend, vary, you know, even terminate it in some yep. cases? The biggest one, the, the, the biggest, well, it's not even really an asset. It's a financial resource at the end of the day, but one of the things that I see a lot of is when you have parties that are, say you've, you know, anyone who's about 40 and above is going to start to have, start getting a, a decent amount of super. So the people that are entering into a relationship might be their second marriage, the second relationship or, or, or third or fourth or whatever, or they might be a new relationship for the first time. Um, but if you've got a, a sizable super amount that, you know, that you, you're wanting to protect, that's something that you can you can sort of say. Well, mm. look, I've come here with three hundred into this relationship with three hundred thousand dollars in super already, and that will be taken into the into account if you were to you know separate in years to come. If you go down the court road, if yeah. you go down that court road, whereas you could you know section it out with mm. a with a prenup um, earlier on. Both of, both of you say I'm going to keep what I brought into the yep. relationship if yep. we if we ever go our separate ways. And anything that we buy together, we'll divide up in accordance with what a proportion we we yep. paid for it. Yep. Those things are really straightforward, I suppose. Uh, but it's always a good idea to keep those arrangements under scrutiny. Yeah. If you embark upon, you know, business ventures or, or investment you know, strategies with your partner, and that they're not even mentioned or even thought of in your financial agreement, I just press the pause button, go and see your family law solicitor, yep. get that updated. Otherwise, you you run the risk of the courts having jurisdiction all over that property that you really never wanted them to have. Yep. 
okay, so that's how we might protect our assets and, and you know, doing a financial agreement. Now, sometimes we'll be on the other side of a financial agreement. You know, we won't mm. be doing the drafting. And we'll get a call and somebody says, hey, can you help me? I've got a financial agreement. My partner's solicitor's just given it to me. Just need to pop in and sign it. Mm. How do you go with that? I say no. Yeah, me too. Um, what we have to do... Lawyers um, no, have or, to or give not yet. I tend to say. Well, yeah, it's yeah. That's that's more to the point. Not yet, but lawyers have to um, give advice on that agreement. And the only way that we can give advice is to actually understand what your circumstances are all yeah. about. Who you are? What's this intended yep. to do? Is this the right deal for you? That's right. So it's not as simple as going, okay, yeah. I, look, I had one guy um, who wanted, who thought it could all be done. Half an hour for me to read over the agreement. And and give him his advice, and then half an hour for me just to sign him up on it. It's not like that. You need to actually understand the property pool, work out, do the, do your own maths on the on the division, do your own um, uh, like estimates, and and make your make your own mind up as to contributions and what they're worth. Um, and so that usually involves a bit of a sit down with your client and going through. Getting that instruct, getting those instructions in mm. detail, making sure that they're comfortable with the disclosure that's been given. Um, it's not, you know, you don't have to go through that whole process of exchanging every single document that you've ever, financial document that's ever um, come across your path. You know, that's in your name. You don't need to go to that that sort of extent. But what you do need to do is make sure that you are comfortable with the disclosure that's been given. Yeah. Not so. everyone is in a in a situation where they don't know what the other side's been doing and things like that. Plenty of people have full disclosure throughout and there's no issue. So as long as you are comfortable with it, you di- but we need to know that you're comfortable with it because that's something that if if one party's hiding, a, you know, might be hiding a unit in Western Australia somewhere and then you know, that really affects the advice that's going to be given. Or millions of dollars in off- offshore trust yeah. accounts, as I've yeah. had that experience in the past. Okay, all right. So make sure that somebody is comfortable. They un- they, they understand properly the advice you're giving them. So we're not going to, uh, I can't really conceive, unless we have a really long-standing pre-existing relationship with a client, we've worked on them with other things and yep. we understand very well what the circumstances are. It's unlikely that we're going to say, sure, you can come in. We've already seen that. We've given you advice over it. Yeah. But generally, press a pause button, yep. understand the situation, understand the intentions, read the deed carefully and prepare a detailed advice. And if we don't do that, then even though you might want to rush at signing it, that rushing at signing it is going to make the agreement itself very weak. Yeah. Because that's one of the reasons they get set it aside yep. by court. Yeah. Well, you see those ones where um, you know they want to get it done before they get married, you know, the, the, the prenup ones in particular. And you, you see them and you go, when were you married? Like, you know, when you're trying to set aside this agreement in years to come, and you're going to go, oh, what day were you married? Oh, oh, that's the same day as, you know, that's, sorry, the day, that's the day after that you signed the binding financial agreement. That is just red flags Very Thorn and Kennedy, most fam- so, famous case on this. Yeah. Where it got set aside because so you just got to take your time with them. Okay, so those are those are prenups. Mm. Be careful with those, and just just to round things up. This is just a question that pops up, and if my client doesn't ask me, I will generally talk to them about this anyway. So, you've separated. You've talked about the divorce if if they're married, and you've worked around what the property settlement might be. We're not talking about children today, but what about 
their estate at that point, their estate planning thing. So do you need to do a new will if you're going to separate from somebody? I would normally wait until the divorce has been finalised. Um, but that's it's a preference thing. It depends on what assets you've got. Mm. Um, what I would sometimes do, if you've got jointly owned property, I might sever the tenancies so that my half share is a little bit more protected. Just yeah, for, for the non-lawyers out there, severing a tenancy means that there are a couple of different ways that you can own real estate or, or property together. One is a sort of combined joint owners which is the joint tenancy doesn't mean you're a tenant or renting anything and the other is tenants in common so that you own in particular shares so what you're talking about is moving from a joint ownership to a proportional share ownership yeah because if you die and you have and your arrangement was a joint tenancy yeah the survivor will take a hundred percent so it's not going to go to well ever form part of your estate no no i uh it, it, it's all very nuanced and it depends upon what the client's circumstances yep. are, as you say, of course. But I often would recommend that people do a divorce, uh, sorry, prepare a will made in contemplation of the divorce. Oh, you could do that, yeah. And then, it, but it doesn't work for everybody. No. And then do a further one later on after the divorce has become final to avoid any ambiguity. Yep. Um, but again, you should get very specific advice around your circumstances because it's not a one will fits all situation at all. No, I, um, I would, but. You know, I, the other day I had a client wanted to know when's the best time to get a will and I said, well, well any time. Well, you're above ground generally. Yeah, so <laughs> that would be preferable. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, um, you know, it, it just depends. Yeah. If, you're, if you're almost, if the divorce is almost finalised or something, just wait because you by the time you give those instructions, get it all done, but if you're... You know, if, if you're only at property settlement stage and you're having even, not even looking at getting divorced anytime soon, mm. or you're not even thinking about getting divorced, some people don't. So it might not be necessarily might, a contemplation prob- of divorce. You could have you know cultural or religious reasons yep. that say you don't want to get divorced. Yep. In so which case, you draft your will you on would. that basis. That's that right. it's a permanent separation. Yep. But again, this is the nuance that goes on with all of what we do. But mm. if you're going through that separation process, definitely have get that advice. conversation with your family law solicitor about updating your will and in some cases where it's appropriate an enduring power of attorney as well because you might not necessarily want your ex to continue to have the power to switch off the life support machine. I'll just throw that out there as the yeah. last one. Okay, well, Definitely thanks not. very much. That's a, a few family law frequently mm. asked questions. And, and look, there's loads more out there, so I'm sure we'll do another episode or two or three or four or five. Give us a shout too if, you, if there's anything that you really would like us to talk about in terms of some of your frequently asked questions, the questions that you've got on your mind, then, um, you know, drop us a line and, um, you know, the, the links will be in somewhere on some technology um, platform. But, yeah, just please drop us a line and and um, let us know what, what sort of things. Reach through out through, through our website and yeah, we'll, we'll add in those, uh, those questions and see if we can answer some of your queries that are out there. Thanks very much for listening. We've been Alex and Liza and this is Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good ones.